All right. Open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're getting to that place in life where your Bible flops open without you helping it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because we have been visiting this passage for a little while. And again, the feedback has been great. You guys have been so helpful in providing some help for folks who are venturing into this topic, maybe for the first time, some who are venturing into this topic for the 101st time. We want to be careful and wise for both. Um, Title of the message today is Discovering the Gifts and Your Gifts. Right, so uh, you'll you'll notice today that there's a there's a lot of notes that aren't going to be in your notes. You'll notice as we go through, there's a lot of quotes and stuff. I'm just going to throw out at us today. Uh, the full notes of everything that's said in the service is available to you on the app. It's not always available in the handout. So if you're curious about that, you can go on our website. You can just go on the app, and you can get the full notes. You can get them right now if you wanted more than what's there. Uh, all the quotes and all the references are, are provided for you there. But, but let, me, let me highlight something here. Uh, discovering gifts and developing gifts would be priorities for, for, I think, something that I just feel like the Lord wants us to accomplish as we move through this section of Scripture. scripture. Discovering gifts and developing gifts, right? So you got to do one before you can do the other, right? If there's a gift that, that is in you, that is God has given to you by the spirit, you need to discover that before you can develop it. Although you might be accidentally developing it, uh, that can happen. But I think for you to really be intentional about developing gifts, you have to discover them. And that's kind of what the study helps us do. It makes us aware of gifts, but, but I hope nobody's put off by that idea of developing gifts. And, and, I'm, and much of what I want to do as we move through this material is, is help us overcome unnecessary baggage that's in this topic. Right? Some of us have unnecessary baggage because we've hung out in the Pentecostal charismatic world and we've picked up some ideas that it's baggage for us. It's, it's actually not really helpful. And then there's some who have never been in that setting who have picked up baggage and have every reason in their heart to avoid that setting. And that's not helpful either when we come to this topic. So I want to comment a lot along the way as we look at these passages about some of that baggage to see if we can lighten our load when it comes to this topic and just be affected by it the way God calls us to. But you are going to discover and develop things in your life spiritually. And that's, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. Right? I mean, I was watching the, the LSU game yesterday and watch it, listening to Joe Burrow, uh, now local folklore legend of Louisiana, Joe Burrow, have an interview after the game. And, and he said something that in that context, we're all super okay with, we're totally okay with. I think the interviewer was asking something about, you know, did you see yourself in this position? You know, this is a 13-0 LSU team that's just won the SEC championship on its way into the uh, national playoff. Did you see yourself in this position? And you know, I think Joe's answer was something about, you know, well, we've been preparing for this. And, and then he referenced preparing for it all the way back to when he was a child and all of the team, right? We've been preparing for this since we were children. Um, that's a helpful insight. Everybody who follows LSU football, you know, this was not a 13-0 team last year, was it? It just wasn't. 
They just weren't a 13-0 great team last year. Uh, Joe Burrow was a decent quarterback last year, but he's a little bit different this year, isn't he? That dude's discovered something and he's developed something that's a little different than he was last year. And, and those of us who are fans are like, yeah, you're right. And we're so glad for it. And whatever he did, do more of that. I hope everybody does that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what about your spiritual gifts? Are you okay if we talk about spiritual gifts that way? Are we okay with saying uh, Lakeview Christian Center uh, okay in spiritual gifts, but next year might we be 13 and 0? Might we be a different church next year when it comes to spiritual gifts? That, that whatever got developed in Joe Burrow as a quarterback, what, what if your gift is on this list today and at some point you're a child in that gift, but at some point you could be a Heisman candidate in that gift. You could actually grow in that gift in how it's used and how you understand it, how you connect with it, right? So it's okay for us to come to an awareness that we might be children in these categories, that that might be where we are. It's okay to recognize the person seated next to you or somebody in your small group or somebody in the church uh, is at a very different level than you are in that gift. That's okay too. We're okay, right? I mean, I'm pretty talented. Joe's a little better than me as a quarterback. Those of you guys who've played with me, you know, Joe's a little better uh, than I am. I'm okay with that. In the church, there's going to be gifts that operate at different levels and people own them in different ways and they use them in different ways. Everybody cool with that? Right? Because somewhere along the way, we don't get cool with that. We, we get weirded out by that. By this person becomes the specialist in that area. And oh, he's a healing specialist, I guess. And that, that, just that whole presentation is enough to make us go, nah, I'm, I don't want to be a part of anything like that. Uh, but you watched the LSU game last night. Right? You didn't mind Joe Burrow being great in the category. You didn't mind development in other categories. We need to be okay with that. That that happens spiritually as well. So let me start with our passage and I'm going to try and unbolt us a little bit from some problems along the way. Chapter 12, verse one, and then we'll look at verse seven to 11. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. In verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray for a moment. Father, our gathering this morning, our gathering in small groups, being together with other believers, just having a meal, these are moments when you are among us. You are in us, but you are also among us. And you bless this holy exchange between one person and another with your presence 
and your spirit being manifest among us. And you label some of those manifestations gifts of the spirit. And Lord, we all have this category in our minds, but Lord, we may not be actually familiar with its experience or use. And so Lord, would you help us to take words off of a page and to see them come to life in our midst so that your church might be all that you have called us to be. God, we thank you for all the things that we are by your grace as a church. But Lord, we can be more in this category and we pray we would be in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me make this this comment. As you venture into this category, there's just, just a lot of unhelpful thinking in this category that tends to make us direct our attention elsewhere and and not want to grow in learning this category. Let me, let me jump on a few of those in this introductory moment. Um, I put in your outline there, there's a need to rescue our pursuit of the gifts from abandonment due to our unbiblical expectations of them. So we develop, and I say unbiblical because we found these ideas outside of the Bible. And we approach these with, with this sort of this, this combative, it can be, combative feel. That, well, okay, you're telling me that there's these, these spiritual gifts that God gives, and they're sitting inside of people, and they have these mysterious powers they can operate in. So if that's true, and somebody's got the gift of prophecy, why don't they just walk up to anybody at any moment and just begin to read their mind and tell them what's really going on with them and tell them what they're thinking? Is that, if there's a gift of prophecy, why doesn't that person just operate that way? Or the person who has a, quote, gift of healing. Why does he just walk up to everybody who's sick and just make them whole? Matter of fact, why don't we just shut this meeting down and all you guys with the gift of healing, we're going to get in the van together, we're going to drive over to East Jefferson Hospital, we're going to empty the place. All right, so that, that some reasoning comes and says, hey, if there is such a thing, why isn't that the outcome of it? Okay, I'm not sure I even appreciate the question because it's an unbiblical concept. The Bible never speaks about those gifts as though that's the way they should operate, so I shouldn't conclude they should operate that way. But I I may just need to do a Bible study on the gifts to, to find the boundaries for them so that I can have reasonable expectations for them. Right? The there's limits to the gifts, and that's in the Bible, and we, we can be comfortable with that. There is variety of the expressions of the Spirit from one setting to another, from the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, right? The, the operation of the Spirit's not like some straight line, that he always shows up this way, always with this measure, always doing these kinds of things. If you read the Bible, you find that that's not true, Right? So to be disappointed in a church or in the topic of spiritual gifts because they don't always operate on the moment, exactly the same, continuous all the time, at the same level, same profound influence, every setting, there's no difference. Because we can conclude if that's not the case, then I don't, I don't really believe the gifts are real. Well, do, I mean, we all believe the Holy Spirit is real, but he simply chose not to show up the same way in every setting. There's some guys who, you know, we recognize that they are, they are giants of the Old Testament faith. But you want to compare Moses' ministry of signs and wonders with Abraham's? Can you tell me what kind of cool tricks Abraham did? We know Moses, right? 
That dude could turn your whole nation upside down, call down all kinds of powers and plagues and, and wreck the place tremendously. But Abraham has some encounters with the presence of God, but he doesn't do anything that looks like spiritual gifts. He doesn't show up in these kinds of manifestations. And what about other prophets? You want to compare the ministry of the prophets. Elijah and Elisha show up and do amazingly powerful demonstrations of God interrupting the natural activities of life. So much so that they could, they could raise the dead in their ministry. But I don't know that Isaiah raised any dead. I don't know that Isaiah did too many tricks. He wrote scripture. He brought God's word as a prophet. I'm not sure Nathan, the prophet, besides being led in on a prophetic insight into David's life, you know, he kind of looks like he's operating in the gifts a little bit, but there's no raising the dead going on with him. There's no mighty miracles taking place through his ministry. The Holy Spirit is showing up differently in these settings. Then the, whole, the, the Bible lists a variety of factors in the New Testament that impact the prevalence or the lack of gifts. Why aren't gifts happening? Well, there's, there's biblical reasons for why that's happening. Right? Here, here's some examples from Scripture that would have an impact on whether you're going to see gifts among your, yourselves. Uh, proper and improper use of the gifts. That seems to impact the way in which gifts operate or the way in which they don't operate. Quenching the Spirit is mentioned in the scriptures. Despising or prohibiting tongues or prophecy. That had to be addressed in the New Testament church. That there were those who, for whatever reason in their setting, grew to despise these gifts. Well, that had an impact on whether anybody was going to see them at much of a level. Ignorance of these gifts. You can be ignorant of the gifts, and it'll impact whether or not you pursue them, whether you practice them. Unbelief. Jesus was the consummate miracle worker. And the Bible even says that there were moments and towns and settings that Jesus did few miracles among them because of their unbelief. So if you come to this topic with the view that if gifts are real and if the Holy Spirit operates this way, it's going to be this continuous line that always looks the same. It's full of these dynamic empowerment activities that just go off 100% all the time. Okay, that's an unbiblical thought. If you just let the Bible teach us about spiritual gifts, we would conclude the Holy Spirit's activity can look like this for his own reasons and for some of ours. So that, not a continuous thing. We're not going to see gifts operate in exactly the same way all the time around here. But we should see them and we should see the Holy Spirit among us. Bunch of quotes for you today, uh, partly because they just say these things better than I will, and, and also to see, let you see a variety of views that are in some of these topics. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, says, certainly the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament, bringing people to faith and working in remarkable ways in a few individuals, such as Moses or Samuel, David or Elijah. But in general, there was less powerful activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of most believers. Effective evangelism of the nations was very uncommon. Casting out demons was unknown. Miraculous healing was uncommon. Prophecy was restricted to a few prophets or small bands of prophets. And resurrection power over sin in the sense of Romans 6 and Philippians 3 
was rarely experienced. But at several points, the Old Testament looks forward to a time when there would be a greater empowering of the Holy Spirit that would reach to all God's people. I think that's an accurate understanding from the Old Testament. Let me make this point. Your outline I wrote, it seems that in a fallen world, the inbreaking of kingdom power, miracles, gifts, deliverance, etc., serves to testify at a limited level of the age to come. Jesus didn't go around delivering everybody, healing every disease, doing away with all the spiritual powers that opposed the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't do that. There were people that would have walked by Jesus with a disease and when they got past him, they still had that disease. And then there'd be others that Jesus stopped them, healed them, or they came to him, touched them, and he healed them. There would have been demonic activity that Jesus stopped, and there'd be other demonic activity that he did not. But he demonstrated something. The kingdom of God has come among you. He demonstrated that the kingdom of God that is to come has power to change these realities. And that's what he did with the ministry that he had. And that's what gifts do as well, right? Spiritual gifts show up in our fallen, broken world and they give us a taste of what is to come. They take bodies that are broken and in need of healing and they give us a taste of the kingdom that's coming will have no sickness in it. Come and receive. And God touches a body and makes it whole. And he's gonna give us glorified bodies that are that way. God brings revelation and insight. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. We know limitations and there's a lot of shadow here. And sometimes God brings a spirit given insight into a situation that just opens it up to more insight by the spirit. It's a taste of what's coming. It's not fully what's coming. It's a taste of what's coming. So our expectations about gifts need to sit in reasonable categories. Again, Wayne Grudem says spiritual gifts not only equip the church for the time until Christ returns, they also give a foretaste of the age to come. So the gifts of the Spirit give us, uh, the Spirit gives us are partial foretastes of the fuller working of the Holy Spirit that will be ours in the age to come. In this way, gifts of insight and discernment prefigure the much greater discernment we will have when Christ returns. Gifts of knowledge and wisdom prefigure the much greater wisdom that will be ours when we know as we are known. Gifts of healing give a foretaste of the perfect health that will be ours when Christ grants us resurrection bodies. So this is what gifts are doing, right? So when I see this topic through the lens of scripture and see it this way, it helps me to put gifts in a more reasonable category with reasonable expectations, Because if you get ridiculous expectations of gifts, you will give up on pursuing them. And that may be a massive reason why many churches don't experience gifts. You had unreasonable expectations of them. And therefore, you were disappointed and thought, I just, I missed something here. Maybe I just shouldn't even pursue this. Well, I think we just need biblical awareness. What should we expect in this category? One more thought from Mr. Grudem. 
against the background of Jesus' ministry and the earlier ministry of the disciples with Jesus, the disciples present at Pentecost would rightly have expected that powerful evangelistic preaching, deliverance from demonic oppression, physical healing, and perhaps also prophecy, dreams, and visions would all begin and continue among those who believe in Christ. And that these things would be characteristic of the new covenant age that began at Pentecost. A further characteristic of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a widespread distribution of spiritual gifts to all people. So this is very, very important for us today. Because I said last week, I'm not going to make this point again. If you weren't here, go back and and maybe listen to that or, or get some thoughts from the previous week. The New Testament concludes by making its presentation to us about this topic. And then it comes to a close. It has said something that you and I were intended to form our view and our opinion and our expectations out of. And then church history got started. And people's experiences were added. And seasons and times where the church did the right thing and did the wrong thing, right? You guys have heard of the Reformation, right? The Reformation happens because at some point, people who called themselves Christians were teaching things wrong. The church, as a general group, went in the wrong direction and was in need of being fixed, reformed. How many of you know you could go in the wrong direction with this topic? And then be in need of being reformed. Well, that's exactly what the church did. So from the New Testament presentation all the way to today, there's a lot of baggage that's been added along the way. A lot of history that's polluted this topic. And you've had some experiences, or even worse than having bad experiences, is having no experiences. Bad experiences might make you a little bit averse to pursuing this topic. No experiences kind of drains your faith for this topic. It's like, well, I've never seen any of that. I've never experienced that. And you just begin to lower your pursuit and your expectation to suit your own background. Listen, my background is not in the canon of scripture, right? What God inspired to teach us in this topic does not come from Keith Collins' personal experience. Whether it's been really weird or a whole lot of nothing, neither one of those things comes to this topic and says, this is why you should believe what I'm saying. The Bible has spoken. God has revealed something about this topic. That's why I should believe. Because the Bible has said some things here. And then it stopped speaking and it left us with an impression. And I think the impression it leaves us with is we've got work to do in the mission to minister to the body of Christ and to bring the gospel into the world that takes every form of weaponry and empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives until Jesus returns and says, okay, we're done now. So until that day, we need these gifts to function in our midst. But just because we need them doesn't mean we have them. We, we needed to teach the Bible accurately, but that didn't keep Christianity from going in two different directions. And have a lot of bad teaching joined to one set of beliefs and a reformation driving another. Right, so we can get off track in categories. So let me see if today we can clarify the gifts 
and their use. This is such a massive subject that I'm going to slightly introduce it. Here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. I'm talking with the elders about us doing this in the beginning part of next year. To, to do a more detailed class on this subject that I hope that if today you're looking at this and going, hey, I, I am spiritual, I'm interested in growing in spiritual gifts. All right, we would do a class, probably a small group that allows us to explore this because these are important things and, and they're a little bit challenging just to pick up from hearing it taught once. Right, we, we need to engage them a little bit more thoroughly. But, but these are, if you will, a list. A list of gifts that, that are sort of like a, a toolbox with a variety of tools in them. Right, if, you, if you're a person who does any work around your house or you've, you've built some things, you've done some construction, maybe you're a mechanic, um, you know the vitalness of particular tools being in your toolbox because not one tool does everything you need it to do. Right, if you're going to go repair your home and I said, okay, here's a screwdriver, go get it. Oh, that's going to help you at some level and it's going to be of no use for you in other moments. Right? But when you open your toolbox, right, there's different kinds of screwdrivers. There's, there's pliers. There's needle nose pliers. All you nerdy guys who have to do this stuff. Right? There's stuff that you need. There's saws. But they're not just one kind of saw. There's several kinds. There's chop saws. There's table saws. There's jigsaws. And if you've ever had to use a saw, you appreciate having a variety of them because not any one particular saw can do everything that you need for it to do. And, and then there's tape measures. who do, They don't do anything like what a saw does or, or what a hammer does, but you try doing a project around your house with a tape measure. Right? You, you can't do it. Right? All these tools make some unique contribution to this project that's before us. It's exactly what is being presented to us here. There's a project before us. It's the building up of the body of Christ. We're going to build something together. And it's going to be the body of Christ that's going to care for, connect with, and then extend God's life into this world. Now, to build that, you're going to need to open the toolbox and use these tools. And you're going to come to discover you are a tool. The way God manifests himself through you is a tool in this building process. And that's why these gifts are so important. So verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I'm going to overdo that word and then I'm going to back off from it a little bit because I think it's a problem in both directions. Uh, To each is given the, not just the spirit, but the manifestation of the spirit, that's a good word. That's a good word because you can be aware of the existence of the Holy Spirit and be in this room today and not be sure you've experienced the manifestation of the spirit. That can be very true for many believers. Right? That word manifestation, it's the Greek word phanerosis. It means an exhibition or an expression. Commentators would say it's acts in which the spirit manifests himself. But the root word in that word, phaneros, it means to show. It means to make visible. It means public stuff. It it is related to the word in our language that we call phenomena. So these gifts are phenomena. They are public. They are expressed. They are something that makes 
visible, right? So that's important. Not to downplay or ignore that there are many expressions of the Holy Spirit that are not phenomena like this, but these are, right? The, the, the sense of inner peace as we talked about last week. Maybe something that you just experience in a way just settles your life and the Holy Spirit has brought that to you. That may not look like a phenomena, it may not look like a, an event, an expression, uh, there are workings of God that over time he's just doing something to show you things on the inside and bring light to you, better understanding of things. That, that might just be a little bit upon a little bit upon a little bit. It may not look like a phenomena, but then these are more like phenomena, right? And this isn't the only thing the Holy Spirit does, but it's, a, it's a, an important thing he does. Wayne Grudem says this, we may define spiritual gifts as follows. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. This broad definition includes both gifts that are related to natural abilities, such as teaching, showing mercy or administration, and gifts that seem to be more miraculous and less related to natural abilities, such as prophecy, healing, or distinguishing between spirits. The reason for this is that when Paul lists spiritual gifts, he includes both, of, both kinds of gifts. Yet not every natural ability that people have is included here. Because Paul is clear that all spiritual gifts must be empowered by one and the same spirit. That they are given for the common good and that they are all to be used for edification or the building up of the church. So there is a broad definition here that Mr. Grudem gives that, that for some might be a little bit too broad in this category. Because it brings in the thought that natural talents that are in us, how are those related to spiritual gifts? Come to the spiritual gifts class, we'll talk more about that. But there is a dimension where the Holy Spirit, when he's involved, he is empowering something unto a particular purpose. It is the building up of the church. And so there is an arena for this. So if you meet somebody who you think is the most incredible teacher you've ever met, just this person has the ability to stand and hold attention and communicate things, but they're not a believer and they're not talking anything about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't make the mistake of thinking they have the spiritual gift of teaching. They got something. Just like anybody who run fast has something. But when the spirit gives, the spirit empowers unto a purpose. So, you know, if you're hearing like, oh, I want to take the spiritual gifts class because, you know, I, I want to go into business for myself and I want to improve my sales techniques. Uh, could probably suggest some other things rather than the spiritual gifts class. Because the spiritual gifts are seeking a setting in which to be used. And that setting is the building up of the body of Christ for the purpose of God's mission. Gordon Fee says something here helpful. He says, what distinguishes this listing is the concretely visible nature of these items. Especially of the last seven. These, after all, are not only gifts, they are, above all, manifestations of the Spirit's presence in their midst. All right, so this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable, but 
I think we need to clearly understand there are and there is the intention of the Bible to introduce us to the idea that when the Spirit comes among us, phenomena will come with him. And that phenomena will travel through people who are expressing the presence of the Holy Spirit through these particular types of expressions. So we're intended to know that. So when we gather, we should be looking for a sense of phenomena in our midst that we might welcome it. Right, so in this list here, we just read through from verses 8 to 10, there are nine gifts that get mentioned there. They are not the only gifts. There are many other gifts, and I'm going to walk through that little chart that I have in your outline there with you in just a second. But I want to I highlight this phenomena dimension, and I want to bring some helpful boundaries to it. Let me pick up a thought from Anthony Thistleton, his commentary. He says, above all, charisma is always an event. The gracious activity of God through a man. The word event, however, may be open to question. Paul's charisma of living a celibate life without distraction, no doubt, entailed a continuous divine sustaining. In his earlier work, another commentator named Dunn, use of event slides too readily into assumptions about spontaneity. But in his volume on Paul's theology, he fully recognizes that these gifts include, quote, more humdrum tasks and organizational roles. He adds, the event character should not be overpressed. So I just said this word is a phenomena word. It lends itself to an event, but don't overpress this, and I totally agree. 1 Corinthians 14 suggests a mixture of prepared contribution and some spontaneous utterance. Such gifts as teaching and critically evaluating can hardly be spontaneous, but are habits of trained judgment marked precisely by a continuity of the Spirit's giving as a process over time. Almsgiving, works of mercy, may well seem, quote, more excellent if the use of the gifts is planned, deliberate, and entails a conscious act of will and service rather than a spontaneous welling up of a gesture without reflection. All right, this gets at the heart of something that I think is a problem in the world of spiritual gifts. Whether you use them, expect something from them, or are avoiding them, I think this is related. Spiritual gifts have a massive association with the word spontaneous. In some regards, rightly so. In other regards, it's a problem. The Holy Spirit, are are we going to say the Holy Spirit only imparts something to us in a spontaneous, exactly at the moment you're going to use it moment? Okay, before you even answer one way or the other, where do you get your answer from in the Bible? What's the Bible say about that? Well, it kind of doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say whether a guy who had a word of prophecy had that word for three and a half minutes and he's got to get it out of him before it goes bad like milk. Or whether he's had it in him for two weeks and he's finally sharing it. We don't know, do we? So there could be massive spontaneity 
Or there could be the way the Spirit operates, takes time and processes through us some things. And these various gifts, you know, I have the, the gift of giving. Does that just mean you just sort of just feel suddenly out of control to empty your wallet? I mean, just all of a sudden you're like, oh, here, have it all. And then it goes away. Or could God be leading you the gift of giving right now at the end of the year? God is, is speaking to you and directing you and forming in you a sense of, of how he wants you to give some things in the next few weeks uniquely. He's going to bring people to mind and he's going to organize your finances in a way that, that you're able to do that. Which one of those is the gift of giving? Right, so I think that's very helpful. Three, I put in your outline, three helpful categories through which gifts find their expression. First is an event. I think that spontaneous moment where the Holy Spirit just shows up and it's right now and it's for right now. Say something right now. Okay. Second, a prepared contribution. I think the Holy Spirit can show up in ways that preparation was necessary to discern, to receive from the Spirit, to bring you into that moment. And third, continuous favor. Just the Holy Spirit chooses to operate upon your life with this sense of continuous favor in your life. So I think all three of those I can make a case for biblically. So they don't all have to be spontaneous. Right? If, um, you know, the Bible clearly says that teaching is a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We, we should appreciate that and make room for it in our lives. But that doesn't mean that no, none of us need to prepare anything in order to teach, right? We just, you're right. Matter of fact, if you really want to have the gift of teaching, just shut all your books and don't spend any time this week studying. Don't do that. Because if you have the gift, brother, just use the gift. Now, doesn't that sound like it, it maybe, well, maybe it should operate that way. Well, you have the gift. The people who don't have the gift need to do all that other stuff. But if you have the gift, you just stand up there and pause for a moment. And suddenly, thoughts, lots of them here, have them. Uh, where do you get that idea? Does the Bible explain any of this stuff this way to us? Right, there are activities of the Spirit that we can find in other places. I'm not sure quite we stick them in a gift category. But, you know, the great revelation that Daniel brings to the people of God in the Old Testament is after he's been pouring over Jeremiah's scriptures, studying the scriptures, and suddenly a revelation comes to him. And then an angel comes to him. He has this supernatural encounter. And in the next chapter, he's, he's praying and fasting for 21 days. Well, something's happening. 21 days worth of stuff happening. And he's being led by the Spirit. And suddenly the, the angel shows up and reveals something else to him there. Well, there could be operations of the Spirit that are exactly like that among us. But what does the, the gift of leadership look like? The, it, a sense of leading and directing something and providing the vision and direction for something, is that spontaneous? It just comes like everything this church will ever be for the next 20 years. Suddenly, boom, spontaneously one of us is going to get it. Or might the gift of leadership get a little piece and a little another piece and an adjustment and some meditation and some adjustment and no, I don't discern that. And that's how the spirit is at work in that setting. But listen, if you've been in charismatic settings, spontaneity can feel like it rules the day, right? And so, I mean, I've been in settings, I've been in churches where the more spiritual thing to do is, is the guy who just walked in the back door today who feels like he's got a word, got a word. 
Well, shut everything else down. Eric, sorry. Sorry you were praying all weekend to lead us into the presence of God. But this guy's got a word. You sit down. We're not going to worship this morning. Hey, Keith, close the Bible. I I know you prayed all week and you sought God for the church to feed them through the gift of teaching. But somebody got a spontaneous word. Got to shut everything down now. Now, when I mock it like that, does that sound like, yeah, let's all do that. But I know some of you have been in charismatic settings. The second you sense something that feels subjective, you do feel like, get everything else out the way. I've got a word. Uh, did anybody explain how these words are supposed to operate like that? Right, we do have in the Bible, there's this order dimension that we're going to get into in the next few chapters here, right? So the spontaneous prophetic impression is sitting in the same room with the gift of pastor-teacher. And leader. These need to get along with each other. Right? So you'll know, and this is our practice here, you'll know that you could have a word. You could send that word to us via an email. You could, because we don't believe necessarily you spontaneously have to give that right when you get it. You could come and give that to us and we would actually do what 1 Corinthians 14 is going to encourage us to do. We might test the word, which all prophetic words are encouraged to be tested in scripture. We might test the word before you give the word. Now, you've given it to us, and we're evaluating whether we feel like that bears witness with Scripture, whether it is appropriately framed for the setting that it's trying to be given in, and whether or not we feel like it's the right timing for that word to be shared with the church. Well, all those evaluations, I trust that that's the Holy Spirit is leading us through the gift of leadership to do those kinds of things. So it's not one gift canceling out the other one. It's cooperation and order that's taking place. So let's, let's be careful that we don't trump everything with the more spontaneous something is. But at the same time, that word is a phenomenal word. God can show up in a moment in a way that we want to respect and make room for that. All right, so in your outline there is a big chart of what I say is 22 or nine gifts among 22 gifts. And I'm not trying to, there are definitely nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Whether there's 22 gifts total mentioned in the New Testament, let's all debate that. It could be more or less. This, this comes from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. What I liked about it was the fact that it takes you to the other continents, if you will, to the other places where gifts are going to be mentioned in Scripture. But there is a a degree of overlap that is presented to us in a real matter-of-fact way. Paul never presents a list of gifts that makes them feel like this exclusively and uniquely is my presentation. He just kind of mentions gifts every time he does this. And sometimes he mentions a few that he's mentioned before, but then he adds a few that he didn't mention elsewhere. And sometimes uh, there's maybe just one or two that are new, but the rest of them are all familiar. He's just matter of fact in how he does it. I think that says something to us about how we approach this whole topic. Right? I, I don't think we can be certain there's 22 gifts only. There might be 32. There might be 162. I don't know what the total is. But these are the ones that are highlighted. So the one thing we can be sure of is let's not fumble these. Let's make sure we're making room for these. And so here's what I want you to do with this list. I just want you to gaze at it for a moment. And maybe at the end of the service, we're going to pray through this for a second. But look at this list with me and ask yourself this question as you're just looking at these various gifts. Are you aware of and pursuant of your spiritual gifts? 
right? To each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And these are, the, these are the lists of the manifestations. To each has been given. So somewhere in this list, it's probably you. Are you aware? Can you look at that list? As a matter of fact, I, I do encourage you to do this, even if you just do it mentally. Look at the list and circle the ones that you're pretty sure that's you. Right? Maybe hold all this in humility. Maybe, maybe it's not me. Maybe I just think it might be me. You know, I have a tendency toward this or God seems to me using me in a particular area. Look at that list. All right, that one in the middle there, 1 Corinthians 12, that's our passage today. But the reason why they have words in parentheses here is because these gifts get mentioned elsewhere. So for some reason, Grudem started the list in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, I think because it kind of, it, it lists them in what feels like a priority. So he lists out eight gifts there, and then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, you get nine gifts, but you notice one, two, three, four of them are mentioned elsewhere. And then in Romans, you get two of the list that are mentioned elsewhere, and several of them that are new. There's a little bit here, and again, if you read more of Wayne Grudem, you'd see he doesn't hold this this way either, but the Ephesians 4 list, there, there is a difference biblically between a prophet and one who prophesies. So just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. Right? That, that prophet's got a little bit more explanation to it in Scripture, more of a gift that functions as an authority figure, as an office, a leader. Uh, you don't have to be that to prophesy. There's a gift of prophecy in Scripture that is used that doesn't have to come from somebody operating out of a, a role like that. So just get familiar with that for a second. Again, this is something for us to develop further in a class. But, but you should be asking, am, am I aware of my gifts? And am I pursuant of them? And the pursuant has to do with that developmental dimension. Right? Somebody was telling me Joe Burrow started playing quarterback when he was three years old. Pretty sure the three-year-old would not have done real well last night. Just a thought. He could have tried. He had the gift of quarterback. But I'm not sure the three-year-old version of that would have done real well last night. Uh, But over years and years and years of development, dude's pretty good. So uh, we may have at some level even an awareness, maybe, maybe a little bit of a puttering flame of a gift in this category that... We would do well to see, am I pursuing understanding the gift? Experiencing God's leading me in the use of this gift? Developing the gift? Practicing the gift? Right? Those would be more of the questions for some of us that are really important. All right, let me move through some of these gifts in a rapid way here. Again, we'll reserve the details of this for a class that we'll do. But I just want to interact with them a little bit again just to, to help us lose some baggage along the way. All right, so the first thing that gets listed in our passage today is the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Um, and as you're going to see in these quotes, nowhere else is this verbiage used in the New Testament. So when you go to develop a, a book on what the word of wisdom and what the word of knowledge is, it should be a really, really short book. Otherwise, you're not biblical, 
you might be right, you might not be, but you're not getting your stuff from the Bible, right? And so here's the tendency. As I come to this passage and I'm trying to understand it, uh, the proper thing to do as, and when we exegete a passage is to let the Bible provide its own commentary, right? So let me find everywhere in Scripture that this particular phrase is used, is it used identically, is it used differently? Well, you're not going to find the phrase elsewhere. Well, how about the words themselves, where it, there is word, logos, and there is sophia for wisdom, and gnosis for knowledge, and those are used elsewhere. So, But if you do your study about the word of wisdom, by studying wisdom, you're, you're going to land in a ditch. Because this is unique. This word language is unique here. It's different than just wisdom. Like the spirit has given wisdom. Well, he has given wisdom. How do you pursue wisdom? Uh, I I read my Bible. I study. Uh, I get around people who have lived life in front of me and and seek out their experience. And and I I find wisdom. I live life myself. I make mistakes. I, I, I seek to grow from those things. That's how you find wisdom, right? That's not how you get a word of wisdom, though. Right, so this is a unique expression of that. D.A. Carson says the emphasis is not exactly on wisdom, but on the messages, the logos, the word that issue from wisdom and knowledge. It's not entirely clear how or even whether these two gifts differ from one another. Perhaps the distinction was clearer to the first readers than it is to us, but even so, it's unlikely to have been more than a distinction in shading or emphasis. Wayne Grudem says, it must be understood that these two gifts are mentioned nowhere else in scripture. And no other early Christian literature outside the Bible has has been found to use these phrases of any spiritual gift either. This means that the only information we have about these gifts is contained in this verse. We have the words used to describe these two gifts and we have the context in which the phrases occur. No interpreter anywhere has any more information than this to work with. This warns us that our conclusions will probably be somewhat tentative in any case. So what exactly is a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom? Well, if your classic background is Pentecostal, charismatic, there is almost an identical sense of definition for word of knowledge and prophecy. So what has been explained to most of us is a word of knowledge is when God, by the Holy Spirit, gives you knowledge that you could not have had on your own. Well, how is that different than prophecy? Well, I'm not sure it is because that's what kind of prophecy is as well. Prophecy is a revelation of something that God had to have shown you, either about a circumstance, a person, or an event that's happening or going to happen. Right. So, again, somebody trying to define knowledge and wisdom here. And some folks say, well, no, based on the use of the words wisdom and knowledge, a word of wisdom would be in a a situation where you are explaining something by a word in relation to God's wisdom for the ages. Now you're, now you're venturing into the word wisdom now, right? What is wisdom? Well, wisdom centers on the person of God and the reason for our existence, etc. I'm not sure that's what a word of wisdom is or not. Some of us would, would be thinking, well, word of knowledge is, is just maybe you're praying for a person and God gives you an insight and gives you knowledge of something about their circumstances that you couldn't have had otherwise. Oh, it could be, could be. I'm not sure. I, I, w- I would like to say whatever, whatever that is, it is a spirit-given revelation that suits a setting 
characterizing it with wisdom or knowledge. That's the best I can do to give you a definition for what that is. Something that the Holy Spirit gives to you that brings wisdom to a setting. Because it's an utterance. It's an event. It's a phenomena. So it's not just I got smarter over time. It's, it's an utterance. It's a moment in which something is going to be said. So the, the emphasis is on that moment of something being brought into this ministry, right? Again, attend the class and we'll do more. Faith, a couple of thoughts on faith. What is this gift of faith? What Gordon Fee says, what he has in mind here is the special gift of supernatural faith that can move mountains. Mentioned again in 13.2, it probably refers to a supernatural conviction that God will reveal his power or mercy into a special, in a special way in a specific instance. It's this moment where God just floods this sense of faith for something and a subjective moment that you just have faith for that, right? You could be operating in this and not know it. I think this is probably a common experience for some who suddenly facing an impossible situation, facing you don't have the means to pull that off. Suddenly this sense of faith, it's like God's just given us faith for that. Uh, you know, this is where it be, be wise to be aware of these gifts because you could beat up everybody around you for not having faith the way you do. They're staring at it. They don't have a gift of faith for this moment. They're just staring at it going, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but oh my goodness. Ah. And you're like, what? Just believe God, man. God's going to do it. God's going to be awesome. He's going to tear that down, do this, blah, 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 blah. Could be that you have a gift of faith that God has given you in that moment. Sam Storm says the gift of faith is that mysterious surge of confidence that rises within a person in a particular situation of need or challenge and which gives an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or an action. I think that's helpful. Uh, Gifts of healing. D.A. Carson says this strongly suggests, right, because the language is a little awkward here. Is it gifts of healing or gifts of healings? It's kind of an awkward construction. He says this strongly suggests that there were different gifts of healings. Not everyone was getting healed by one person. And perhaps certain persons with one of these gifts of healing could, by the Lord's grace, heal certain diseases or heal a variety of diseases, but only at certain times. Perhaps then one of the things that our own generation needs to avoid is the institutionalizing of gifts. If a Christian has been granted the charisma to heal one particular individual disease at one time, that Christian should not presume to think that the gift of healing has been bestowed on him or her, prompting the founding of a healing ministry. Right, see, this, this is where we kind of we get beyond what the Bible says. And quite honestly, even Carson's explanation there is a little bit beyond what the Bible says too. I don't know that once you have the gift of healing that you'll keep having it. I don't know if you will, you won't. Apparently the Bible didn't feel like it needed to tell us that. But but let's suppose, because this is one of the gifts that that we can get pretty uncomfortable with. Let's suppose you get around somebody who one time they went and prayed for... Uh, maybe somebody who having a hard time conceiving. And so this person comes and prays for them. Next thing you know, they're pregnant. And the church then treats that person like they're the pregnancy healers. 
Every time we're going to have that person come and pray for them. Or somebody prayed for somebody's back one time and they got healed. And, and now they've got the, the back healing minister. They're the back healing minister. And you look at that and you're kind of like, I don't know. That's a little weird. Um, I'm partially with you in the sense that the Bible really doesn't say that, does it? But neither does the Bible oppose it. And so let's suppose for you, but that's out of bounds for me, right? Well, be careful that your boundaries reflect the scriptures, but let's just say that's out of bounds for you. You're not cool with the idea that somebody's a specialized healer. They got an area where we bring them up and they do this specialized healing thing. And one out of 24 times it works. You know, ah, does he really have the gift? Oh, we got all kinds of questions now. All right, let's suppose we do that. And you're a little leery of it. My question for you is, are you going to throw the gift of healing out the door because it's got a little bit of weird stuff for you attached to it? Or are you just going to say, well, like most things, sometimes people go a little bit farther than the Bible. But I'm going to take what I know is clearly in the Bible because gifts of healing are clearly in the Bible. How you become a specialist, whether you use it too much, whether you expect too much from it, that's not in the Bible clearly. But the gift of healing itself is clearly in the Bible. Don't throw it away just because somebody went too far with it. People go too far with things all the time. How many of you guys have met Christians who have gone too far in holiness? And they expect you to dress just like them and comb your hair just like them. They've gone too far, right? Did you leave the church over that? I hope not. Too far in some other aspect of life in the kingdom of God. They've just gone too far. Most of what they're doing is good and sound, but they're just hyper in this area. Okay, maybe there's hyper healers among us. Don't jettison the gift just because of that. Here's an interesting thought from Max Turner in his book on the Holy Spirit and gifts. Here's some polarized issues that I think work against us pursuing the gift of healing. He says, were they, these gifts of healing, a temporary phenomenon? Intended merely to legitimate Jesus and the apostles? Right? That's one view. Or, to go to the other extreme of interpretation, does healing belong so intrinsically to the gospel itself that those with authentic Christian faith should expect healing in all circumstances as proponents of the health and wealth gospel claim? I can tell you that both of those positions will diminish the functioning of the gift of healing in the midst of a church. The cessationist view that this this isn't supposed to happen anymore was just a limited time deal obviously means you're not going to pursue it. And if you're not going to pursue it, guess what? You're not going to see it. The other view that, no, no, it's supposed to happen every time. So every time somebody whips out the gift of healing, somebody should get healed. So if you call people forward and you call people up here who supposedly have the gift of healing, everybody better walk away from here healed. Or this is all phony. Well, okay, that, you, you have a hyper-faith view of the gift of healing. You, you, you have a theology that's not good. Because nobody is guaranteed of being healed in this world. Everybody is guaranteed you're going to die. I'm assuming whatever kills you could have been something you could have been healed of. Amen? So we know from Scripture that ultimate healing awaits us there. Gifts of healing give us a taste of that now. No guarantees, but that doesn't mean we don't use the gift, right? Where am I in here? 
working of miracles. I'm going to scoot through some of this so you guys can, you can go online, read these quotes on your own. Uh, prophecy, we're going to take a lot more time to develop prophecy when we get to chapter 14. Uh, ability to distinguish between spirits. This one's a tough one, right? I'll grab Wayne Grudem's quote here, but I'm not sure this is the only right one. He says, the gift of distinguishing between spirits is another gift that is mentioned only once in the New Testament. We may define the gift as follows, distinguishing between spirits in a special ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or of demonic spirits in a person. Not everybody agrees with Wayne on that. Right, some folks would say, in this context, the distinguishing of spirits is the ability to distinguish whether prophetic words are accurate or whether they represent something of human spirit rather than Holy Spirit. Uh, not a lot said about this gift. Right? I think we do what we can with it. Various kinds of tongues. Again, we'll talk a lot more about this in chapter 14. Sam Storms says, the gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, Give thanks or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned. When, spe- when people spoke in tongues, they declared the mighty deeds of God. And we see that the primary purpose of tongue speech is an address to God, whether it be praise or prayer. Right, so what we would teach, if you attend a class, what we would teach, and we would teach this not because we have a personal tradition in this category, but just because that's what the Bible seems to teach about this gift. That the interpretation of a tongue would not sound like a tongue being given than a thus saith the Lord, my people, my people. Do this and stop doing that and begin to do this. Uh, that sounds like somebody gave a tongue and somebody came behind it with a prophecy. Because prophetic words are directed to God's people to correct something, to encourage them in some way, etc. Words of, of tongues are spoken to God and declare something of the greatness of God. So that it should sound that way in some form when it goes up into interpretation. All right, interpretation of tongues, you see there, quick definition. We may define the gift of interpretation as reporting to the church the general meaning of something spoken in tongues. All right. Just a, this is an introduction, brief introduction to gifts that need to be explored, right? But take your, take your little box out now, your little, little box in your outline there. 22 gifts get mentioned in the scriptures with the intention that these gifts would be among the people of God, like tools in a toolbox going to work on our lives. For people who are needing encouragement, needing healing, needing the miraculous, right? And then there may be some of us here this morning that need a miracle, just need a miracle in your life. Well, then the Bible comes along and says the Holy Spirit has given to us manifestations of himself in this category, the gift of miracles, what if you have the gift of miracles and somebody else has a need for a miracle, right? I mean, at some point, these things have got to find their way to each other and we have to be available for the ministry of the Spirit and we have to extend the ministry of the Spirit. You guys know, if you look at that list right there, that it's not, it's not good for us as a church if those stay on the page. That's where they go. They stay on the page. They're told to us so they can get off the page and then get in our lives. And we can begin to function in these gifts. 
So again, look at your box. I'm giving you your homework assignment where we need to come like that teacher who makes you do the homework in class. Look at the box. You circle anything on there? That might be yours. Maybe put a little question mark next to one or two that you think, I don't know, but maybe. I'm not sure about that one. Now listen, if your first response is, Keith, I don't know what half of these things mean. That's a problem, isn't it? Right? Discovery needs to happen before we can develop anything. And since these are important, then we probably need to get about discovering these things. But if some of you are aware, and guys who have grown up, been around, spent plenty of time in charismatic Pentecostal settings, you're aware of a few of these that you probably are, could put a question mark next to it, meaning, when was the last time I used that gift? Which church believes that the gift of speaking in tongues is a biblical gift and it is to be experienced by many of God's people? I'll explain that more in the future. But if you're here and you have that gift and, and you can't remember the last time you used it, that's a problem, isn't it? That's not a good thing. These gifts are intended to be developed and used and we grow in them and they have an impact upon us as a church. So your homework is to, is to glance at that list and ponder how can I discover these more? And God will lead you in this. And we've got lots of resources that we could offer to you in this category. How can I discover this more? And how can I develop this more in my life? And don't everybody get freaked out by that. Well, somebody who develops something might be developing something they don't, really don't have. Yeah. Happens all the time. How many of you great musicians wasted all of our athlete, athlete time coming out and playing basketball with us, right? You showed up, fourth grade, you shouldn't be on the basketball court. You're a danger. You're going to get hurt. Go play the piano or go do whatever it is that you got talent to do. But you thought, I thought... Uh, well, you thought wrong and nobody freaked out, right? We just kind of made sure you didn't get hurt, played with you a little bit. Okay, well, some guys are going to do that in spiritual gifts. A few of you are going to turn into Joe Burrows. A few of you are going to go play the piano. Um, that's okay. Let's not get weird in this category. There's no guarantee. The Bible just says so little about how you discover and how you develop, but it's got to be there and we're going to try Right? And so we're going to help to do that in the beginning of the year. But you start now. Ask God, what are the gifts he has made you even curious about today as you listened a little bit and learned a little bit? Amen? Let's stand up together. Eric, you can come back. Hey, most... Times when we are concluding a service, we just make a, a mention to you about folks being available to pray for you if you have a need, right? Um, that's, that's a moment where gifts can operate at a personal level. And they can come to you. Maybe you do need a miracle. Maybe you need healing in your body. Right? Well, this is an opportunity for that gift to find you. Right? So if you're here on Sunday mornings and, and you need to get connected with God 
showing up and manifesting himself, the phenomena of the spirit coming to your address and touching something going on in your life right now. Well, that's what this time is about. So however we conclude, we could give altar calls and ministry times for all kinds of things that weren't exactly where you were, but but you would like prayer. You can go to your small groups and accomplish this sort of thing, right? But if you're here on a Sunday morning and you have that need, hey, don't walk out. Just come and and prayer team members and pastors and elders will come find you and we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to meet you in that moment. Uh, So if that's you today, we're going to be here after service to meet you that way. But let's, let's bow our hearts for a moment just to pray. Lord, for whatever reasons, most of us here this morning have reasons why spiritual gifts are at a bit of a distance from our lives. For some, it's neglect. For some, it may be fear, bad experiences. For some, it may be a a genuine concern that, that this is outside of the scriptures and perhaps isn't what you have for people and therefore don't want to pursue it. Lord, Lord, whatever, wherever we find ourselves this morning, Lord, we, want to, we want to be folks who are faithful to the word of God. God, we want to stare into these words and we want our world and our lives to be framed by what we see there. So Lord, I pray for that this morning. There are needs in our midst. There are people's lives that need the phenomena of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of God coming near in a way that lets them know that your life is not being ruled by natural forces. Your life is not owned by your own decisions, by a devil who's on the loose, or by the fallenness of this world. But there's a God who has made a way and he's got a future for you and he can show up right now in a moment of your life. And the Holy Spirit can manifest his nearness and touch your life. God, we need that. We need that reminder, Lord. We need that reality. Whether we're facing despair or discouragement or just feeling like, Lord, we don't know where you are. There are moments when you manifesting your life to us makes all the difference. So, Lord, would you help us to be that church? Would you help us to grow in this area? Lord, would you take us from below average, moderate, whatever we are, and would you, God, we want to be a 13 and 0 team, Lord. We want, to, we want to be a place where you have grown in your influence among us and to us and through us. Where people experience your nearness when they draw in here to this place and gather with us to be prayed for, to be in fellowship with. Lord, that these gifts operate to touch real lives. So, Lord, as each of us have stared at that box, Lord, draw our attention to one or two places. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our minds to study your word and to become more familiar with these things. And open our hearts to faith to operate in these areas. 
God, may you manifest yourself among us for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, if you need prayer, y'all come on down. Let us pray for you.